somewhere yeah. down deep in horror is this desire to watch the thing nobody else can watch. Yeah. Right? Or to have seen the thing nobody else could stomach. Yep. When we showed it, we gave people a merit badge if they stayed all the way through it. And it has a Wilhelm scream in it. I'm shocked by that. Yeah. Because I'm an aficionado, as you know. Uh, I do. Uh, Normally, when you talk about not wanting to see a movie again, it's because it's terrible. That's not quite what we're talking about today. Welcome. This is the Fright Club Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the 200th episode. How did that happen? What the heck? It's 200. We've got a great uh, topic, got a great special guest, and this should be fun. Because uh, we had, well, actually, we had a great topic last time. One of our favorite topics of the year. We did Skeletons in the Closet, and we had the fun of doing it. Live on StreamYard, yes. which is fun. And man, people people got into it because it's the one time we really celebrate bad movies. It is. Because it's super fun. What we do is we look at the Oscar nominees every year and then we go back because you can always find countless bad horror movies, especially because Gary Oldman gets nominated so often and he's made so many. Um, and, but it's always fun and people enjoy it. And actually, I think it was fun to do it on StreamYard because our cat made an appearance and m- people much preferred her to us. Right. She was, she was the big star. Yeah. There was people were typing movies, Gary Oldman, cat. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. There was a Velma sighting. Velma made an appearance. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you, as always, for the uh, for the feedback. We always have a bunch of fun doing it on StreamYard, which yeah. we may do again. I mean, we're, we're hopeful that we'll be back in front of a live audience at Gateway soon. Yep. Fingers crossed. You never know. So uh, we may do that, or we may do another stream yard. Yeah, there were some I think on the list of people we're not familiar with. Um, I know Omar was excited now to get a chance to see Daniel Kaluuya in chat room when mm-hmm. he was very young. He looked so he young in that. And then, of course, uh, Insect Woman is uh, a lot of people were wrong-headedly committing to watching <laughs> Insect Woman. Well, everybody loves her right now. Yeah, it's hard not to. But I doubt anyone had seen that movie. I'd have been shocked. It was hard to find. Yeah, I had never heard of it before. So that was fun. Thanks again. It's our 200th episode. And this one kind of, talk about about feedback. Mm -hmm. This this whole topic kind of came out of a great thread that we had going on the Fright Club podcast Facebook group. And now, get ready, because here it comes, the uh, obligatory... (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm not begging, am I? Am I begging? No, you're not begging. That we would love to have you in that Fright Club podcast Facebook group. Just send an invite and we'll try to, every time I try to break a record of how quickly I will approve it. Okay. Right? So we'll see if we can do that. But we'd love to have you in there. It's a lot of fun. We mentioned, I, I mentioned, just kind of a lark one night. You know, what movie, what horror movie are you never going to watch again? And I threw out there one because I think it's terrible, Cannibal Holocaust. Yes. Yes, it's gross, and you know we've talked about that before, but it's a terrible movie. So that was really the reason I didn't want to see it again. But then we started off into this whole area of, well, what about good movies that you don't want to see again because they're so upsetting? And mm-hmm. that's what we're doing today. Right. It wasn't our original plan. Uh, our special guest, we knew that we wanted to have him on to celebrate our tw- 200th, do something big for the 200th. And he and I were talking about a completely separate topic, which now he has committed uh, against his will to having come back on and, and do some other time. But this was George's idea, George's topic, and it did take off so well. We thought it would, our guest and I both thought that this would be a good one to follow up on. And there, Jason Tostevin. Yay! Right, so filmmaker and also uh, co-founder and programmer for the Nightmares Film Festival. Woo-hoo! And one of the reasons that we thought Jason would be so great on this topic is because of the festival's Midnight Mindfuck category, which mm-hmm. any one of those movies could easily, not that they're, not that you don't want to watch them again, I don't want to watch them again. They, um, they're great <laughs> movies and they're very disturbing. And I'm, you know, it's funny because I don't think it's a category that people find in other festivals. One of the many things that sets this festival apart. So, um, yeah. So, well, first of all, Jason, welcome. 
Glad to have you back. Guys, thanks for having me back. Congratulations on 200 Yay, episodes. Thank you. That's awesome <laughs> for you and awesome for the world of horror. Because, well, thank you. Uh, we appreciate it. I love it. what you guys are doing. So and, I'm, I'm well, proud thank of you. you. Thank you so much. And she brought up a good point that you with your... Uh, the Nightmares Film Festival in the Midnight Mindfuck category. Maybe you have a higher tolerance for this. I don't know. We'll let you speak to that. But you also started a great, you threw it out on Facebook the other day that we were going to record this. And and you mentioned the topic. And people just started throwing out these movies and gave us more to talk about, some more great titles. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, that this is part of horror. Somewhere down deep in horror is this desire to watch the thing nobody else can watch. Yeah. Right. Or to have seen the thing nobody else could stomach. Yep. yep. So, yeah, it was like lots of energy. Lots of people have a perspective about this. Whether I have a, a different tolerance or not, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I think we all have different triggers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I know what mine are. And we'll I know we'll talk about them and what <laughs> for each of us. But uh, that's part of the interesting thing, too, is sharing with the community. Hey, this is the thing that really bothers me. Oh, that doesn't bother you. That bothers me. So every year there's one that is, is the midnight mindfuck. And it's always Adam Barney. A fellow film critic and podcaster, he he, and just all around good guy, and he does the film coterie, and he always has gift bags for everybody who stays through the festival because because it's a it's a late night show. Yep. It's and and he makes really a, as do you the the festival makes really a celebration of this one particular film that is basically daring you to sit through, right. and and every single year people love it. You know, and you get a very specific type of people who stay until two thirty in the morning to watch a <laughs> horror movie, but they all every time they all love it. Well, I think, um, so let me tell you about Midnight Mindfuck very briefly. The idea, so Nightmares in general is about discovery by being challenged. So the whole thing is designed that way to give you new experiences that help you find new aspects of film that you love. So in that context, it's not just about shock, the Midnight Mindfuck. Mm -hmm. It's really about pushing your boundary to find out what are the things you like. What's beyond the pale for you? So I think it being contextualized is really important to it. So yes, we often play them at 2 a.m., after a full day of programming, mm-hmm. so you're already sleep deprived and don't know what's happening to you. Uh, we always pair it with a couple midnight mindfuck shorts. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those are even more extreme yeah. than the film itself. But I think it's it's the dual experience of wow, this is transgressive. This is pushing boundaries, but also I'm doing it with all these people yeah. who are similarly minded, right? right? Who, who want to explore something. And so, I know I think the very first one, if I'm not mistaken was night of the virgin that's right which at least for a while you could also find on on shutter i remember when it made its way to shutter and mm-hmm. i was very excited for it to mm-hmm. do that but what are some of the other films night of the virgin was 2016 the year after that we played um torment mm-hmm. which is based on john wayne gacy's mur- the murders yeah. uh that was very challenging <laughs> i remember watching that we were on vacation you were taking a nap <laughs> and i fired up the computer and watched that i'm like oh okay <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Wow. Vacation movie. Yeah. For, that's that's a new one. Yeah. Uh, then we played Trauma, which is for me one of the most challenging movies I've oh, yeah. ever watched. It's, yeah, that's uh, rough. Chilean movie that's uh, politically charged, politically based. And then the year after that, we played Twenty Nine Needles. Right. So that was yeah. our Midnight Mindfuck lineup. Yeah. Now that's... last year we had a virtual festival we mm-hmm. called Masquerade. We didn't designate a Midnight Mindfuck right. film, uh, but those are the four that we've played before. They are all of them challenging, oh, but. Yes rewarding uh, in their own right oh for sure and before we get into our top five list because we're going to talk about a bunch of other movies just run down some of the ones that we saw mentioned 
in our Facebook group uh, that are are very worthy of being mentioned in this topic because there's some great ones here. The one I think that got the most comments was Cannibal Holocaust. And we're not going to talk about Cannibal Holocaust, not just because you don't like it and I don't like it. Um, and we don't like it, so, which is a big <laughs> differentiator. <be> <laughs> right? Um, right. So we are not talking about movies we dislike. That's not how they make this list. And of course, Cannibal Holocaust, there's very little cannibalism. If that's my first complaint, that's probably weird. But there's it's really just a rape movie where they kill a turtle that was probably literally over 100 years old, given its size. It's just, you know, there's no good reason to watch it. And it's not a good movie. No. Um, uh, Donovan, it, weirdly enough, Tusk. Tusk. He couldn't That's Mad bear Wolf it. Jr. That's right. Yeah. That's the Mad Wolf Cub. Katie had a good one, Blindness. Yes. Now, that's, that's not one that I would have thought of, but when she, when she said it, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, that is a disturbing movie. It is yeah. disturbing. And then Jamie's was The Road, oh, yeah. which is, I don't know that I, I, I consider that a horror film, but it's definitely a grim movie based mm. on my all-time favorite book, by the way. And then after this, all of the rest of these, I have to just fess up. They're all Fright Club movies. That we have shown. <laughs> They're all movies that obviously we don't have a problem watching again because we said, come, watch them with us. So then Mission Accomplished? I Is guess. That what we're, we're or, talking about you it? know, I fudged up, guys. <laughs> Apologies. So Funny Games, either version, says Brandon. Eden Lake, says Tom. A lot of people hated Eden Lake. <laughs> a lot of people were mad about that one. Baskin and Hounds of Love, two of ours. Antichrist. We are the flesh. You know, Melissa Dina pointed that one out, but a lot of people were mad about We Are the Flesh. They were very mad. Teeth, says Katie. I mean, I love all of those movies and would watch all of them. Some of them many, many times. Jason, you uh, you had brought up another one that we showed is Martyrs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the lead for me, actually. That's the movie. I will, under the right circumstances, I would watch it, but I will never turn that on myself right. again. Oh, it's that, disturbing. That was yeah. it. That and was and to I be needed. fair, when we showed it, we gave people a merit badge if they stayed all the way through it. Yeah. We had, that was the only time. That's right. And obviously we should have had it more often and I didn't know, but <laughs> we did. We made up merit badges to everybody who came and stayed all the way through. I love that. Yeah. Because it is, I mean, it's a challenging film. It's a great movie though. Unlike some movies that you don't want to sit through a second time, Martyrs is a great movie. Yeah, we enjoyed that one. So uh, we'll try to, I guess all we can say is that once we get back to being in front of the uh, live audience, we'll try to keep up this bar. <laughs> the bar has been set. And we got to keep it up. So those were great. Those were all mentioned by the Facebook uh, group of Fright Club Podcast, by the way. Hint, hint. Uh, so we've got a bunch, though, when we talk about our, our five. And I know, Jason, you had some others, too, that uh, we wanted to talk about. That they were kind of like under the radar. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can just mention them up front. Yeah, and then yeah. we, we can maybe draw some comparisons sure. as we go. But sure. my list is a little different from yours. Start Leads with Martyrs. Mm-hmm. Next is Megan is Missing. Yeah. After that is a movie called Victim that I know we were talking beforehand. This is like a pretty underseen yeah, movie. Yeah, we have not we, even heard no. that. I think for premise, I strongly recommend that people see it. Okay. Um, and then lastly, the, where we overlapped was Irreversible. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, yep. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about that. But yeah, Victim, I and you said it was from 2010, so it's 2010. not that old, but it certainly slipped under our radar. Oh, yeah, we're going to find it right away. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know. I don't know if it got a theatrical release. I don't even really remember. I might have seen it in that halcyon time of Netflix when it sure. had all the really cool yeah. shit, which was about two years. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I don't. I don't want to ruin anything about it for anybody because the the premise is the thing that makes it so interesting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And again, that the one we're talking about here is called Victim. It's from 2010. So we're eager to see it yeah. just one time and then never watch it again. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we're looking forward to it. And we'll talk about Megan is Missing here for a second because, as I was saying earlier, my top four, I had it without, like, at the drop of a hat. I knew immediately. I didn't know 
Honestly, any of them could be number one because I'm equally committed to not watching them again. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I that, you know, and I didn't rewatch them to decide where they were going to land. True to the theme. But number five, I wasn't sure because there were so many movies that I felt like could have gone in there, but that weren't, to my mind, really excellent films. Right. And so mm. uh, Megan is Missing was and a Serbian film. These are the two that went back and forth for me for number five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Megan is Missing. This is going to seem weird, I suppose, but for me, so, and I think Megan is Missing is, is the first one I thought of when the topic came up. I know for a fact, under no circumstances, would I watch that movie again. And when I had to decide which one to go with, for me, I, I feel like I don't know what the point was exactly. Of, and, and I guess of that's, Megan is missing. that's where I had to finally draw the line is like, in, so, in the ones that we're going to talk about, I think that's a valid question for almost all of them. Why did somebody feel like they had to make this? Mm-hmm. And for a Serbian film, which we'll talk about in a second, it's probably more of a mess of a movie, but I, I certainly understood the reason to make it. Megan right. is missing. I can't even, I don't even think you could call it a cautionary tale because do we need to be cautioned about this? Is there anybody who doesn't know this is a possibility? It was just grim upon grim. It got worse. It went on. It's not like it was a badly made film. It wasn't. And so anyway, when I decided to draw the line, that that was how, strangely enough, Serbian film got the nod. <laughs> All right. So let's uh, dive in then at number five. It's the aging porn star agreeing to participate in an art film to make a clean break from the business. From 2010, a Serbian film. Bravo, bravo, bravo. This one, legendary in this type of discussion. For what it's worth, I probably would, if I get a vote, over. I would vote for this over <laughs> Megan is Missing as well. Megan is Missing didn't bother me as much as it did you, although it's rough for sure. Oh, God. But this one, you're right. I see... Much like when I was watching a Trauma for Nightmares Film Festival, I see the point. I see the the political statement that he's trying to make, and I think that makes it worthwhile. You know, it's funny. Um, when we first, very first talked about taking Fright Club Live to Gateway Film Center, Chris Hamill just said outright, didn't even ask me, said outright, under no circumstances, you're allowed to show f- Serbian film. And I'm like, I don't think that's going to be an issue. <laughs> I, I don't want to have to see it again. It's so over the top that it's almost comical. And I think for me, it boils down to the title, right? It's a Serbian film. It's It's a film about... People who survived the war in Serbia and, and, and they're saying to us, do you know what we saw? Do you know what we did? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like our dads, us, every every adult man we know saw and or perpetrated such heinous things will never be a normal country again. And that, I think, is what this movie is. And I don't know that they're successful in it. Mm-hmm. But I certainly was like, oh, my God. Yeah, because not only that, if you if you can stomach a- reading about actual atrocities in that war, they are much worse than this movie. I don't know about it's, that, but well, they're bad. It's bad. Yeah, it's bad. I think you're right. I think that is the intent. Well, what, here's what I know. It's the stated intent. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. So I know that's what the filmmaker says it's about. Mm-hmm. And I think you can assemble that point of view from pieces of the movie. Mm-hmm. So I watched it for us for this. Sorry. So you I, have not seen it before. I had not seen it before. I could watch it again. This would fall on my list of um, I wouldn't watch it again because I just didn't think it was that good. Right. Uh-huh. It it didn't work. It was a you said a mess. That's exactly what I thought. This yeah. movie is a mess. It was either a misfire of a satire or a badly done serious movie. Okay. And I couldn't decide which one it was trying to be out of the gate. I thought, well, th- this is clearly a satire, right? The um, leads uh, Milos Milos. Yeah. Uh, his wife says to him. It's like a comic book for adults right. talking about porn. Right. And I thought, oh, she's talking about the movie. Right. Right. But then it didn't really it didn't really stick to it. Mm-hmm. So now 
what I was trying to describe this to Christy, my wife, and I said, like, you know, you would you can never watch this. I mean, of course you can, but I'm recommending that you never watch it because the things depicted are the most heinous among the most heinous acts that you could commit. But um, I never connected. And you made me think um, hope of something when you said martyrs is a great movie. And I thought, yeah, that's why it's so powerful. And right. That's why I can never watch it again. Yes. Yeah, because it's yeah. because it's good. I'm connected to the people. Oh, my God. I understand their motivation. And the suffering becomes real and human. Oh, my God. Yeah. And and that's that's I think you, you helped me realize that is my filter for what I what I won't watch again. Sure. No, you know, I think that makes sense. That's a good point. I don't want to go too far off the rails, but we were just talking about, th- about this at lunch today. That is why f- Funny Games, either version, is yes. not on my list here because that, I don't want to spoil anything, that one moment, the one moment in the movie, as much as I like it, I mean, I really like it, that one moment that is much discussed took me out of it. It took but, me out of it too much. And and I, of course, I, I think that that one moment is is genius, but it's it's... That's the make or break for that movie. Either you either you're cool with this or you're not cool with this. But it's a funny thing. Mm. You know, if you just talk about filmmakers in general, I think Michael Haneke, he's one of those people. He makes a lot of movies you can only watch once. And then that one, he made it twice. So, (laughs) but, but, you know, even, even the ones that aren't even borderline horror, something like Amore, I'll never watch Amore again. It kills me. And it's because he's such a fantastically, unbelievably talented filmmaker that he kills you every time. So sort of like you were just saying, with like it, it just took me out of it long enough to have it not uh, connect with me as much as some of these others. Well, I, I feel so like I need that. to. I think I need to fess up. The one Midnight Mindfuck I didn't watch because George, like you with Christy, George is like you're not going to like this. Mm-hmm. I don't think you should watch it. Is Trauma, which, as far as I can tell from our earlier conversation, is basically a better version of a Serbian film. So when people now, when people say I want the experience that's, that's promised to me from the zeitgeist sure. about Serbian film. I'll tell them to watch Trauma. Right. I think that is the movie that people say Serbian film it was or wanted to be. Right. So number five on our list from 2010, a Serbian film. Going up to number four, this is from 2007. And it's based on a true story, awful true story, of suburban housewife Gertrude Benazuski, who kept a teenage girl locked up in the basement of her Indiana home during the 1960s. It's an American crime. She needs to be punished. How long until Sylvia's out of the basement until she learns her lessons did anyone order you to hit sylvia or tie her up what are you chicken if mama said you can did you do anything at all to help her wouldn't come between gertie and her kids you don't like it much i don't understand why did you do it there are things in life we have to do whether we like it or not I don't know why this story was so popular in 2007, because it actually happened in the 60s. But there were two films made of this act, this woman and her crimes in the same year in 2007. So the Jack Ketchum penned The Girl Next Door came out the same year. And true crime is tough, right? Because because like a lot of what we're going to talk about, you, you have to ask yourself, is it? Is it right for us to sort of wallow in this? And this story is so incredibly devastating. And one of the reasons why I think an American crime is the harder one to watch is because it's the better made film. Yeah. And a great deal of that lays on Catherine Keener, the glorious Catherine Keener, so good and everything. There is not a wisp of caricature to her performance. She's so eerily perfect in this that you almost feel like you understand her thinking, which is so hard to take as you watch what happens. And the ironic thing about that is 
when she fir- apparently when she first read the script, she said, no way. I am not doing this. It's disgusting. But then she could not get the story out of her head. She couldn't get, and she came back and said, I have to do this movie to get it out of my head. And you're right. She's so good. I think you're right. It's the better made movie of the two. I don't know if you guys know this, but it got hung up in distribution. It never got a theatrical release. and oh. ended up getting released on Showtime. So this is another one that sort of, I think, escaped a lot of people. Right. And I think most people have seen the Ketchum version. Mm-hmm. This is by far the superior movie, and the performances are extraordinary. It has a hell of a cast. It does. Like, you look at this cast. I, same, I had this question, George. I thought, how the hell did they get anybody to do this movie who, who had a career just because it's such tough yeah. content? Yeah. Performances are amazing. I can't imagine living in these people's heads as great performers have to do. I know. To bring them to life, and especially the mom. This is the heart of the hardest stuff for me to watch. Yeah. So children imprisoned with monster parents Yeah. Mm-hmm. is the scariest thing for me because it, it's real. I mean, it's happening everywhere. Yes. And then, you know, this story is real. Right. This one has like a pretty nefarious badge for me, which is like the real story is scarier than any of the movies and any of the books. Yeah, it's hard. So when you read about what really happened, it just you just can't capture all of it in the movies. It, and it's truly horrifying. You know what? One of the things I think is the most fascinating about this is that Tommy ha- Tommy O'Haver, who made it, the movie he made prior to this, which get, got him the clout to make whatever he wanted to next, right, was Ella Enchanted. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Did you shake that off quickly? Yeah. Damn. It took me two times to make it all the way through this movie. And that, you know, that doesn't happen very often. And it is just because it's so incredibly realistically told, which is one of the other things that I I don't have anything against The Girl Next Door. And I don't particularly want to watch that one again either. But it's told in a flashback of nostalgia. And not all of the performances are particularly good. None of them are as good as they are in this movie. And so it really makes it feel much less like a gut punch. This movie will kill you. Yeah. Yeah. And you bring up a good point, Jason, about everybody... Everybody has the things that trigger them. Mm -hmm. And I I can definitely see that in this movie because your window is through the the child and who's looking. She's been left there to be taken care of. And she's looking for care. She's looking for guidance. It's almost like a puppy dog that that keeps getting beaten. Still is coming back and coming back and looking for some some sort of empathy and gets none. Yeah. Well, it's, it's Elliot Page that plays yeah. the older of the two. And, and I think it's a very, it's a really strong performance because basically she's the older sister and, and her younger sister is crippled. And I think there's nothing else they can do. Their parents are gone. But she's so much more hampered. She can't just run away. I feel like she, he, now, the, the performance is really strong because you, you can just see that struggle taking place inside this kid's yeah. head. yeah. So well done, so effectively done, and a reason why you don't want to watch it again, and that is uh, American Crime. From 2007 up to number three, this is one hope you just watched the other night. From just a couple of years ago, it's a young Jewish boy somewhere in Eastern Europe seeking refuge during World War II, where he encounters many different characters. The adaptation of the famous novel, The Painted Bird. I saw this right before it came out, and a lot of people know the book. And one of the things that I was saying was, yes, it's incredibly brutal, but at the same time, it's incredibly beautiful to watch. The cinematography, the the, the framing of this movie, 
is fantastic, and and you agreed as well because I I watched it the first time on a computer screen, but I wanted to make sure that we watched it again on the the big bigger screen that we have just to appreciate that part of it. Yeah, this is one that, um, and and I think part of the reason that it is so punishing is because it's so long. Now that the the content is very punishing, but also the fact that you know it's it's nearly three hours long, and you're just like, and it's just this little boy's journey. And what it reminds me of is a combination of Come and See the World War II yeah. Nazi film, and Beasts of No Nation. Because it's a look at how, well, it's a look at a corruption of innocence, which is a, a, the theme for a lot of horror films. But this is a really step-by-step look at how innocence is just really ruined on every, in, on every imaginable level and then built back up into something else, uh, which is also what Beasts of No Nations is and, and to a certain degree also come and see. And I was thinking, too, watching, because it is so beautiful. It's so beautiful and it's not just because the cinematography is great the framing is great what the director chooses to show you and not show you mm-hmm. is one of the things that i think makes this a much better film probably than anything else on the list is that it's really expertly told in that way and i felt like i said this to you a double feature that would be perfect that i couldn't possibly sit through would be this and, and haneke's a white ribbon oh yeah that would be fantastic but and, and the other thing about this movie is that the the Depravity never stops. No. It just keeps coming three hours, and that's what makes it such, you feel like you're beaten up. Yeah, I wrote down while I was watching, I also watched this for our episode. I wrote down while I was watching, this is what would happen if you had Cormac McCarthy write Tom Sawyer in World War II. Oh my yes. God. Right? Nice. That's, that's that, exactly yeah. right. That's yeah. this movie. Yeah. It is one vignette after another mm-hmm. in this like nightmare upside down war-torn world. Yeah. It played to me very much like a dark fairy tale. Did either of you have yes. that experience? Oh, yes, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I appreciate it. I was going to say enjoyed, but I don't think you enjoy this movie. I appreciated the movie. I did think the runtime made it a bit of an endurance test, along with the fact that it's vignettes, mm-hmm. right? It's not a it's not a plot. No. I mean, there's not a story. There's this kid going from one tragedy and trauma after another. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a. I mean, I shouldn't say that. There is a story. I mean, it, it's got an arc. It was like a relentless tone poem to me. Yes. And I think for the the difficult content for the runtime, uh, I, I would never watch this again, but but I, I can recommend it. Yes, I felt the same way. And it's funny, I assign the reviews for Mad Wolf. Uh, and this came up, and, and I apologize if this makes me, I know this makes me a, a literary dumbass, but I was not familiar with this book. I'd mm. never heard of it. And I just saw an image of the of the from the poster, and it was beautiful in black and white of the two holding hands across the straw. Obviously, I had no idea what that scene was. And I thought to myself, I'm looking at our cat McAlpine. She might like this. She did not. (laughs) She did not. She was texting me. She's like, she was texting me. She's like, I still have two and a half hours to go and I want to kill myself. And I was like, stop, don't watch it. We'll watch it. I didn't know. Well, it was her review, which was very good, by the way. It was very good. That made me then want to watch it. And I went out of my way to watch it. Yep. Um, You're right about the endurance test. And the little boy, He's so good. Peter Kotlar. Mm -hmm. He's so good. And uh, the director, Amar Hall, just bumped into him, apparently, and thought he was so perfect that, but first he had him psychologically tested before he put him through this. Uh, And apparently he passed, he passed the test and he's his little face. I know it. It's perfect. Yeah, he was terrific. And I I wondered how separate he was from some of the things that were shot, right? right? I wondered how much they shot without him on set. Yeah, sure. Because uh, that I did think of him. The, the person, not the character. I have to point something out to both of you, and it is the following. There's a Wilhelm scream in uh, The Painted Bird. Oh. And so uh, 
I what what do you make of that when I tell you that? So it's a three hour played can, <laughs> right? One I think in Sweden. I, I'm just, so it was like a it was a prestige. Oh, definitely movie, and it has a Wilhelm scream in it. I'm I am quite surprised am, by it, I'm, and I I'm shocked by that. Yeah, because I'm an aficionado, as you know, uh, I do. of the Wilhelm scream. But also, like you're saying, it just doesn't seem to fit at all. At all, it's when it the Cossacks doesn't. attack the village near the end. Wow! In the, in the back third, a guy flies off his horse. Yeah, and what? we get the yep. Oh my wow. god! Wow! I'm, they I'm, do. I can I'm, actually I can picture it now. I'm yep. floored. And by then that. I was so quickly uh, bothered uh, into forgetting everything with that horseback rape scene. I'm like, oh god! Oh. Now I forgot about the Wilhelm scream. <sighs> yeah. Something else that, that stuck out to me in this movie is they dub Harvey Keitel. And, and what you was that about? Thank you for bringing that up. It was very weird. And you don't you you see him, but you don't see his mouth at first. But you hear this voice with this perfect Polish accent. And I'm like, oh, that's not Harvey Keitel. <laughs> yeah. That sure as hell is not Harvey Keitel. And then, of course, they dub him the entire rest of the of the of the scene. Now, he's, and the sync is super off. It's very a couple off. of the scenes. Yeah, it really is. And yeah, I thought the same thing. I mean, I'm not going to. He probably has still a very thick New York accent, no matter what language mm. he's speaking. So maybe they felt like. You know, if you get Harvey Keitel to be in your movie, you probably just say yes. But it was uh, it was weird. Well, it was very other, it stood out. The other interesting thing about you talk about the vignettes as the boy goes along with his journey, you keep seeing these recognizable actors. Yes, it's Harvey Keitel. It's uh, Julian Sands. Right. It's I mean, Stella Udo Kier. Udo Kier. You expect yeah. right? <laughs> I didn't. That was a, that, that was a very unusual experience too. It's it is a segmented sort of restart yeah. every 10 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in part because of that, George, yeah. it's a really good point. Yeah. The Painted Bird from 2019, a number three on our list of films. We're not going to watch again, but not because they're horrible. Is that a, is that the the most succinct way I can Maybe. talk about this topic? <laughs> uh, moving up to number two. This one gets a lot of mentions when you bring up uh, this sort of discussion. It's from 2002. Events over the course of one traumatic night in Paris unfold in reverse chronological order as the beautiful Alex is brutally raped and beaten by a stranger in the underpass. Irreversible. Okay, guys, so there are multiple reasons why I won't watch this movie again. It starts with what we talked about a few minutes ago, which is it's a terrific movie. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly well made. It's got a really interesting... um, style design it's told in reverse order reverse chronology so that's one of the reasons it's really well made so i really connect it's got a one infamous one take uh rape scene that is uh, almost impossible to get through the first time i'll never watch that part again there are also i think some problematic parts of this movie that have not held up in time um that i probably won't pay money to watch again because of that but uh, there are multiple layers here for me about why i won't watch this I wanted to ask the the two of you if you knew um, that this movie connects directly to Noah's previous movie and his subsequent movie. I yeah. thought people might be interested to learn, you know about that. Yeah, I did because I'm more of a, a Noe fan, I guess. Hope you, you're really not. So I've seen more of his films. But yeah, I mean, it connects back to uh, I Stand Alone. Mm-hmm. Am I right there? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because the butcher's in it. Yeah. yeah. Who is the character from that movie. Right. And then the closing scene uses the same music from Enter the Void's oh, opening scene. Sure. So it really just flows right into it. Yes, and there are a lot of thematic, I mean, across all of his work, but there are a lot of thematic uh, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Enter the Void because now there's one I wouldn't watch again just because I don't think it's a very good movie. It's too much. Agree. It's just too much. Yep. This one, I agree with you, it's, it's very well made. And these two, and even though the rape scene is the one everybody thinks, that opening scene where they beat the guy? Oh, yeah. My God. 
and, and how they they I thought they did a pretty good job sh- showing his smashed face as far as as far as effects goes. That one's unsettling. It's so realistic, aren't it they? Is. All the violence is yeah. really, really realistic. I think Hope. I don't want to step on you, but I, I think the other the thing I would recommend this. The reason I would recommend this to people is because of its infamy and its craft, but also because it's this extension of new French extremity. Sure. That's not usually considered in the core, but it's totally in the same uh, category, right? Yeah. It's it's it, it's exploring the same. It's violence, it's sex, mm-hmm. and it's psychosis. Yeah. Right. Which are the three. Yeah, you and I have talked about this. We talked about this a long time ago, when, like 10 years ago, and we helped to program an Asia extreme mm-hmm. that really my favorite subcategory is, is French extreme. I, I loved the the first like 10, 10 years of the 2000s as my favorite sort of subcategory of horror films. Uh, and Gaspar Noe, all of his films for me are, are unwatchable a second time, even Climax, which is probably the least sort of punishing, but it's the, the sound design. He designs it so that... You just want to like take a bath. Sensory and, yeah. overload. Yeah, yeah he really he does. does. And and I and it took me many years to make myself watch Irreversible. And I remember the whole time, like like just like thinking to myself, I'm not sure how he manages that, where he does it in chronological in, in reverse chronological order. How does he get from scene to scene? But he's got this whirling camera. It mm-hmm. it works beautifully. It's beautifully crafted. He basically there are there are like six sentences that just come back up in a different way, in a different context. But he's just got certain obsessions that he is going to beat you to death with throughout this movie that I think is interesting and, in, to a certain degree, problematic. The rape scene, I cried and I was literally sick to my stomach and I remained sick to my stomach for a very, very, very long time. And it was it, this never happens to me. That it was just one of those things I couldn't get that I couldn't get out of my head. I fall as, when I was falling asleep, that would wake me back up. The, I think I'm PTSD from this movie. Mm. Um, well, you admit that's one of your triggers, so that it, that's if this follows. doesn't trigger you, there is something fucking wrong with you. <laughs> um, it, and it, it's a, it's incredibly her performance. Oh, I did. That's I why was, that's, you took so long to watch it. Yeah. I had told you, yep. and, and at one point I said, "Well, if you want to watch it, I will tell you when it when it's coming." That, but does that yeah, you, I can't not. You can't yeah, not, not watch, that, watch scene. that scene. There's not really a reason to see right. the film. And and Monica Bellucci is unbelievable. And oh. I, and and of all the films that we talked about, how hard it must be to play these roles. Catherine Keener in particular, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine how she did that. I can't imagine how she managed that that just unrelenting scene. But I, I do think that is a it's a it's a really well made film. Mm-hmm. I have some concerns with it outside of just the horrifying nature of it. But um. It's an amazing film, and I think it's his, it's his strongest. I agree. And going back to uh, Bellucci, uh, Gaspar Noe said that he had no idea how long the scene was going to last. He said that was totally in the hands of Monica Bellucci and the actor playing her assailant. The whole scene was in her hands. Even the guy who was playing the rapist was at her service. You know what? He's also great. I mean, it's hard to say that, but that that's a profoundly believable performance. And he doesn't you know, he doesn't shy away from any aspect of it. Mm -hmm. You know, his is a great performance as well. That scene is amazing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. There's something revealing here about um, acting in these roles where to get a great performance, you have to understand the person that you're playing and their motivation. And so I think what like we talked about, what a trial for the performers. But um, you may see some of the best performances you've ever seen oh, absolutely. in the most challenging, extreme challenging movies because of what's required for a performer to get. I'm not sure she's ever reached those heights again, uh, performance wise. It reminds me, she was very good. She was the lead in, in a, a World War II film called Milena, which is the first thing I ever saw her in. It was one of the very first 
movies I've ever reviewed, actually. But other than that, I've not seen her. She's rarely the lead, I think, yeah, in anything. Yeah, she's done a lot more small parts, at least that, that <clears throat> American audiences have seen. Yeah, and I, but I, I, I think you're right. I don't think you've, we've seen this level of skill from her. And it's an interesting character in that it's not an interesting character. Mm. And so uh, this is one of the issues that I had with the film is that the, the only female character in the film, she exists as an object of sex. She only has sex or discusses sex or is raped. And there is there is nothing else. The only other thing about it is that she's pregnant and didn't know it, which is a result of sex. I mean, she's that's the only thing she represents in this film is is an object of sex. And I don't I mean, in, in other films, I would I would have a bigger issue with that. Given the, the point of this movie, I can see where it's not necessarily just a sexist filmmaker. It is it is the point of this movie is is sort of our baser instincts in terms of sex. But it is a little bit of a, a fault for me. Well, it's. From what I understand, this movie was the result of, originally the plan was to make a movie with Monica Bellucci and her real-life husband, sure. uh, Vincent, who, uh, Vincent Cassell, Cassell. who's in this, um, and in their discussions, that movie eventually became love, but oh. then they steered off into a different direction, and that's, that's the movie that became irreversible. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point that you make, though, about the, the female characters in, the, in this movie, but it's interesting, though, that if, if that story's true... He originally, the original intent was to explore marital love and sexual love in such an explicit nature because a three D nature. Does, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is coming at you. Oh. <laughs> hey now, but uh, that's irreversible from two thousand two. Our number two, you know, Gaspar. No, he had to be in there somewhere mm-hmm. on this list. Uh, moving up to number one. This is inspired by horrifying true events, apparently. It follows Torre, a young lost soul involved with an underground Christian punk movement who falls in with a dysfunctional family who tests his seemingly unwavering faith from 2013. Nothing bad can happen. I said apparently true events because I tried to research and find out the the actual story about that. I couldn't really find it. So I'm not saying they're lying, but uh, if it is true, that certainly makes it more horrifying because what this boy goes through is really gut-wrenching. Yeah, and you know, true crime, as we were saying earlier, um, with American crime, true crime films are sometimes hard to, I think, um, accept. And the ones that are made really well, you never want to watch again. Like uh, Snowtown Murders is one of, I think, the all-time best true crime horror films ever made compliance we love as well obviously not not to the degree of horror but still they're difficult to watch the this movie we said earlier that lists like these are very personal Mm -hmm. right and uh, most of the lists we do are very personal but this is in particular very personal and i understand that for a lot of people this movie isn't going to hit them as hard as as a movie uh where there's you know a lot of of child abuse or rape or something like this this movie this movie kills me. This movie kills me. Um, and I think it's because uh, the way I grew up, I, I, you can't really say a profoundly Christian upbringing anymore because it means something totally different. But my family, like regardless of me as an adult, I grew up in a family that deeply loved Jesus, right, as the guy we just didn't deserve. And that's really how I think we grew up seeing him. He's this guy we just didn't deserve. Mm-hmm. And that's clearly what Tori represents in this movie. And the fact that this movie doesn't wind up in the way so many of these other movies did, uh, where uh, Corruption of Innocence, and then at the end, 
you know, you hate the world because, right, that's not how it, it that's not how it ends, that he's forever true to this and he is martyred. And um, and there is a, a positive response. Right. Something good came out of it. That's what kills me. It's sure. actually easier for me to watch a movie when in the end I can hate all of humanity. The fa- the tenderness at the center of this movie kills. me. Well, that's that's very self-reflective and very right on. I can definitely see, especially the way you explain it like that. It's it's totally understandable that hits you so hard. Yeah, I, I didn't have the same experience. I, didn't I also, either. I I also didn't don't either. have the same filters that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, a little background for people on this movie. This is a German movie. This was um, this woman's first, this was her debut film. Mm-hmm. It played Cannes and it is clearly philosophic, mm-hmm. right? It is very much on its face. I might say if I were denigrating it, it's film schooly, mm-hmm. right? It is very much on its face philosophic. And so when it's strong, it's because of that. And then when it doesn't work, I think it's because of mm-hmm. that. So when it's strong, it hits on some of these philosophic questions that maybe are really deeply rooted or we don't think a lot about. Mm-hmm. And then when it misses, it ends up being a little bit like freshman year in college philosophy. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think all in all, I can I really can empathize. I can sympathize uh, with your response, Hope. Because it really is the unusual tact that makes this a painful movie to watch. Right. It is the, for me, I, I wrote down, this is like um, finger cuffs logic for the the main character who is sort of tortured by this. And that he gets hooked forever believing this is a, a test of his faith. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so thereafter, nothing can happen where he might bump out of it right. and go, Holy fuck, I don't want to do this anymore. Right now it becomes he's got to prove himself. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and that inevitability was really scary to me. It was. You know, and this uh the film in a way it plays out like Dogville, which uh, the fact that we haven't mentioned Lars von Trier on a podcast oh. about movies you can only v- watch once That's is right. sort of amazing. So here he is. So it's a lot like Dogville except again, except it doesn't come across like a filmmaker who believes the worst in humanity, where clearly Von Trier does. Um, and also, Dogville is a representation of what he thinks about humanity. It also reminded me a little bit of Snowtown in the way the, the man gets his trust oh, yeah. early on yeah, and absolutely. then totally abuses it. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And and again, just like Snowtown, a really, I think, a very solid villainous performance. All um, the performances. Yeah, they were very um, good. The girl who played the step Benno's stepdaughter. Uh, Sani. Yes. She uh, was great. One, I have no idea how to pronounce her name. Even, I mean, <laughs> I'm looking at the letters like, just, that can't be right. Just to look on <laughs> like, where are all the vowels? Right. <laughs> <laughs> she communicated so much just through the looks on yeah, her face, she either did. horrified or, or questioning. Or yeah, I thought she was great. Everybody, it was a really solid cast. I yeah. Thought. Here we are back at talking about people playing terrible people and them being great performances. Right. Yeah. right? And I, I totally agree. I thought the villain, I looked him up and I've since forgotten his name. Uh, but he just was out of this world because he was complex and believable. Right. It's uh, Sasha Alexander Gersok. I only know because I wrote it down. That's it. <laughs> plays. He plays Benno. Oh, he Benno. plays, yeah, okay. that's the stepdad role. Yeah, but not just Benno, because the, the evil stepdad is a pretty common trope, but how slowly the, the rest of not only his wife, but then their friends oh, yeah. mm-hmm. get drawn into this. That's the thing. That's the Dogville aspect of yeah. it that I thought was really fascinating. Nothing bad can happen from 2013. A lot of bad things happen. Yeah. Uh, that is number one on our list of good movies that are so disturbing you don't want to see again. So as as we've mentioned many times, this is a very personal subject. So we probably have 
skipped over some that are very personal to a lot of Fright Clubbers. So let us know. We've we found from, from social media here, just getting ready for this, how people are really engaged and want to talk about it. So we'd love to keep the conversation going either. You can find us on Twitter. That's easy, at Fright Club Pod, or the Fright Club Podcast Facebook group. There he goes again. I ought to ring some bell every time that I talk about that. is <laughs> a fun way to do it. So this has, been, uh, this has been a fantastic 200th episode. Jason, thank you so much. Good stuff. Thank you so much for having me back. It was a delight. It was like coming home. <laughs> I love it. And I love you guys. And I'm proud of you. Congrats on 200. Oh, and here's the 200 you. more. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. And we're looking forward to Nightmares Film Festival 2021. Fingers crossed, right? We'll be back to our normal way of... Guys, I think we're in good shape, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I, I, of course, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But I think there's um, every indication that we'll be back together in person, which is you know, be so really great. the best way to experience it. Oh, because yeah. not only the movies, one of the best things about Nightmares Film Festival is the culture of community that you've been able to foster. And losing that last year, although I, I thought the, the way you rolled it out virtually was fantastic. Thanks. You know, I, I think uh, I appreciate that. And I, I think uh, whatever parts we did well um, were by putting the sense of community at the heart of the design. Yeah. Right. Like uh, we were never going to do it if we couldn't give some semblance of that experience where people could connect mm -hmm. and meet one another and discover because it's it's just not the same without that. Yeah. Well, it was a great virtual experience, but we definitely look back. We definitely look forward to getting back to the in-person community experience, if we can, this October. Do we have the dates yet, specifically? Yeah, we do. They're uh, October 21st through 24th. You can see all the movies we've played before in winners at uh, nightmaresfilmfest.com and follow us on Facebook, where we're most active. We're also on Twitter. Awesome. And if you've never been to the great city of Columbus, Ohio, this is a great reason to plan your visit right now. Yeah, you're not lying. <laughs> 200th episode in the books. Thank you so much. And we've been so geeked about getting ready for this episode, you don't even know what's coming next. I have no idea what our next episode is. <laughs> <laughs> so surprise! That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the meantime, let us know. I know there's a lot of uh, fertile ground for conversation here, so... So uh, let us know what you thought about any of these movies. And uh, Jason Tostevin, again, thank you so much. This is fantastic. Uh, you're probably our most frequent guest, and for a good reason. That's right. Uh, I love being on, and um, I'm happy to be on anytime you want me to. Oh, thank you Yay. so much. So until next time, <laughs> she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Do you remember the out? Hey, in the spirit of Irreversible, I'd like to say, friends, my frightful stay. Nice. Oh.